Good morning. It's my joy to introduce uh, two young people that want this to be their church home. So we'll begin with that before we jump into our message. Uh, the first is Emma Petrochko. Emma, where are you? There we are. She told me to the left. I don't know if it was my left or her left. Uh, tell you a little bit about this young lady. Emma uh, grew up here in Columbia. She uh, graduated from UT Chattanooga, has a degree in graphic design, and now has a job in graphic design working in Nashville. Lives here in town, but um, enjoys that commute immensely, she told me. Uh, but what a talented young lady wants this to be her church home. Uh, she is a daughter of Anthony and Rachel Petrochko. You know them already. So get to know Emma, introduce her yourself to her. And then also uh, her brother, Henry. Uh, Henry, you understand where you are? He also obviously grew up here in Columbia. He went to MTSU, studied English, and now works for uh, Aetna Insurance. So uh, introduce yourself to Henry as well. Uh, I was talking with one of our elders about this age group, our young professionals, and what a special group that is. And we're blessed to have so many young people that are in that college age, young professionals, and appreciate uh, their walk in the Lord and their encouragement they give to all of us. Today, we begin or resume our small group Bible studies. Uh, and that's a great day. Uh, I hope you are looking forward to that. It's not too late to join the group. There's a message about that in the bulletin. Just uh, talk to any elder or minister, or if you know any of the, the group leaders, uh, talk to Chris Burton. He's kind of organizing all of this behind the scenes, but doing a great job. Um, and so you can be a part of that. Uh, not too late for that. But even so, if you notice, and we've done this uh, since day one with these um, uh, small group Bible studies, the study guide, we don't just wait and distribute those to those in the study. We put that in the bulletin every Sunday morning. And part of that is so everybody knows what's going on. And even if you can't make it to a group, you've got that study guide and you can participate on your own if you so choose. And just let that be a blessing to you. We are studying the book of Joshua, so we've had a couple of uh, lessons kind of opening that, and we're going to jump into chapter 1 again, so if you want to open your Bibles there, help you to follow along. While, while you're turning there, I'll give you an update on life at the Owens house. Uh, we live in Sunnyside neighborhood, uh, which is a, a neighborhood, but we're right next to a horse pasture, and we have lots of trees, so there's always a squirrel issue to deal with. But lately, we've also had raccoons who have set up shop, and groundhogs, and armadillos, and just last week, two skunks have moved in. So we're going to rename Sunnyside to the Wildlife Refuge because they are taking over. And we were talking about this, you know, when we had a dog, a yellow lab, we didn't have any of this. You know, she just kept them far away, but she died a few years ago. We do have a cat. An inside cat, and we we're thinking, how can we get our cat to help us with this problem? Look at this screen, on the screen. This is kind of what I'm thinking. What does that have to do with Joshua? Absolutely nothing. I just want to make sure you're awake. Actually, it has more to do with Joshua than you think, and we'll talk about that more in a moment. Look at Joshua chapter 1. Our text is going to be beginning in verse 6 through verse 9. God said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. 
Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good access wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your then, for then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you know anything about the book of Joshua, you know this phrase. The Lord is telling Joshua, be strong and courageous. God is telling his people that through Joshua, they will finally enter the land of promise. Their ancestors had been in bondage for 400 years. They've wandered in the wilderness for the last 40 years. And now as the book of Joshua is opening, they are finally taking the land. And what we're learning in this study of the book of Joshua is that whatever God wants to give his people must be taken. There's a difference between what the Bible says you can have or have access to and what you actually claim, what you possess. Remember, as God told them, I will give you this land everywhere you set your foot. And God has always required his people to step out and to claim his promises, what he wants to give. And so as we progress through this book, we're going to see that warfare is called for. So this whole effort, you might call the whole story of Joshua, yes, it's battles, but there's a spiritual warfare going on. So what does a machine gun holding cat have to do with Joshua? Everything. Because absurd as it is for us to envision a cat with a gun is to think about these children of slaves who've really just been wanderers, nomads, now becoming this victorious army claiming a land through God. How in the world is this going to happen? They had no training. They had no background. They've got no experience. They have nothing to draw from at all. If you've studied this before, you may know commentators will tell you that it is only a nine-day walk from Egypt to the land of promise. Nine days. And yet it took them 40 years to get there. Not everybody has to take the long way to receive the blessings of God. And we don't have to learn everything from experience. We're so much better off when we can just be wise enough to listen to the good godly counsel from other people. Take the wise words of Solomon and learn without repeating the mistakes. Listen to your parents. Listen to your grandparents. Others who've been there. Let me say, don't do it like I did it. Here, learn from me. This warfare that they were about to embark upon demanded courage. The degree to which you experience God's promises is the degree to which you're willing to take a step. Let me say that again. The degree to which you experience God's promises is the degree to which you are willing to take a step. This is a God principle that is throughout the book of Joshua. Now, it's actually from Genesis to Revelation, but you really see this here in the book of Joshua. Now, notice in Joshua chapter 1, three times, God repeats this phrase, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why? 
Why would God say this to his people? Because God knew taking the land would require a faith displayed through courage. Everyone needs this encouragement. Everyone, even today, through our ultimate Joshua, Yeshua. We talked about that in the opening message, that we take the steps that he is leading us. Think about it. How often we read in our Bibles about phrases such as walking with God, walking by faith, taking a step in faith. One of the songs that Marty led us was step by step, you lead me. All of that can be traced back to this imagery in the book of Joshua. This God principle that's being just very well illustrated. Well, then how do you get that courage? And here's the answer, and I really want you to get this in our study today. Believe in the integrity of God. This courage we're talking about is not something that's just miraculously given to us. It's not something that you can just pull down deep into your inner being and and become courageous. What we learn through Joshua, this courage is nothing more than belief in the integrity of God. Joshua 1.6, be strong and courageous. Why? For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. The reason... God is telling them to be strong and courageous because God had made a promise. And God wanted to fulfill the promise that He made to their fathers and He was going to make it come true through them. And God's name's on the line. His integrity is on the line. He had promised this was going to happen. So Joshua is going to succeed not because of Joshua's wisdom or Joshua's leadership or Joshua's expertise. Because God said so. God made a promise, and Joshua just happened to be the leader at the time, and God's going to make it happen because that's who he is. Psalm 138, verse 2. Look what the psalmist writes here. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name And your word. God's name means something. And his word means something. So when you open your Bibles and you read his promises, you can take it to the bank. Because God said so. Even if he said so thousands of years ago, to God that means nothing. He still said so. And he's going to make it come true. He's going to keep his word whether you believe it or not. That is who he is So God made a promise to his people, so then it is up to us to decide, will I take him at his word? Do I believe him? See, 40 years earlier, this previous generation, they did not take God at his word. The spies saw the bigness of the people, not the bigness of God, if you will. And the people believed the reports of the obstacles more than they believed in the assurance of God. Saying that you're going to take this land, I'll never leave you. They had a choice to make. Just a quick review. I put them on the screen. Let's go back to that scene. Numbers chapter 13. I want to pick up in verse 26. These spies came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. 
They brought back word to them, to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land, and told them, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified, and very large. You can almost hear the gasp in the crowd. So Caleb speaks up, verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. See, they brought the people of Israel bad report of the land, and they'd spied out, saying, the land through which we had gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are of great height. Remember, he goes on and talk about we're like grasshoppers. We remember that imagery there. Look at chapter 14. It continues. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Listen to this. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or that we have died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Verse 6, now it's Joshua's turn. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. So both reports are telling you it's a fantastic land. Fantastic land. Well, look at verse 9. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Hang on to that. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Well, you know the rest of the story. They didn't stone them with stones. But Joshua and Caleb had to wait 40 years because everybody else lacked courage. How hard must that have been? They saw the land. They believed in God, but nobody else did. So for the next 40 years, long, hard 40 years, lots of funerals. Look at verse 9 again. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Note what's happening here. Joshua considered the people's refusal to believe God as rebellion. Think about that. Why? Why is that such an affront to God? Why would God be bothered that He said all these things? I'll never leave you. I'm going to give you this land. And they chose not to believe it. God takes that personal. That bothers Him greatly. Joshua calls it rebellion. This is not, I'm not sure about this, or, 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 or I, I don't know what to believe. Joshua just calls them out. Now, when we think about people rebelling against God, what comes to your mind? Maybe open debauchery, maybe sexual promiscuity, maybe horrible abuse, greed, drunkenness, 
gossip, slanderers, idolatry, witchcraft, all of that, sure. But unbelief? Is that rebellion? Even if we're struggling to, to believe God, you and I are more careful with our wording. We don't, we don't openly confess that, do we? We don't. We kind of masquerade it in other ways. And here in Joshua, he just drills right down and says, if you don't take God at his word, it is nothing more than rebellion. What a challenge. God is telling us through Numbers and Deuteronomy that unbelief is rebellion. These people had put their faith more in the reports of the obstacles than in the promise that Joshua, that Jesus, I mean, that the Lord had said through Joshua and Caleb, I'll never leave you. I'll not forsake you. If God is for us, we'll take the land. Studying through this has made me more and more aware of this sin that you and I need to be careful about. Because we can deny it or act like it's not there, but this sin of unbelief, folks, we can be prone to it as well. Believing more in government, the economy, our jobs, our income, our health, our looks, our family, and the list goes on. Do we believe in our relationships and family more than we believe in God? Is that where we get our security, our identity? Our purpose? Do we believe in things more than God? The Bible calls that rebellion, the sin of unbelief. It makes me so grateful that God is patient with me and you. Because I think there's times where we can be guilty of this. But here we are in Joshua and we're reading that to not believe God, to not take God at His word... It's nothing short of rebellion. So what are we going to do with that? What difference does that make? And how does courage come into play? Look on the screen. I'm going to give you a definition for courage. We're going to talk about this more in our small group Bible study. But courage is focusing on the integrity of God's promises, even in the middle of the obstacles. It's not denying the obstacles, even more so when they're there. Taking God at His word Confession. Here's the way Randy Owen's brain works, and I think maybe some of you might fall into the same category. When I see obstacles, when I see problems, when I see the reality of the situation, they are giants. We are small. I want to know from God exactly how he's going to work it out before I take a step. Any of you think that way? God, if you'll help me to know. In fact, sometimes I try to help God along and kind of create a flow chart. Now, if God will do this and he'll do this and he'll do this, well, then here's how it can do it. So before I take the first step, I, I want to fill in that flow chart to exactly see how God's going to work. God doesn't work that way, does he? You ever gone through a situation where the obstacles were just bigger than life? You had no control. There was nothing you can do. And after you got through that situation, you were able to look back and see how God worked at it in a way that you never even dreamed of. It wasn't in your flow chart. It wasn't in your prayer. It wasn't in, you couldn't even have imagined how God worked in that situation. 
But we deal with this trouble, this struggle all the time. Think of a couple examples come to mind. Like you're in a relationship, maybe a, a really good friend, or maybe if you're dating somebody, thinking this might, this might could go somewhere, and then your friends and maybe even just your, your inner self, you're saying, but there's some issues here that I'm concerned about. Maybe they're not a, a good spiritual influence on me. Maybe they're, they're not the best for me. But you're thinking, if I remove myself from this best friend or, or maybe this, this one that I'm dating, well, now I'm all alone. God, what are you going to do for me? So before I break up or I, I, I stop being a friend to this person, I need to know who's going to be there for me. What about sacrificial giving? Statistics show that most of us give about 2 maybe 3% of our income to the Lord. And we think of that as being generous. But what if, what if you were to be challenged to think, you know, I, I want to move toward 10%. That's a goal you see it throughout Scripture. Not, not a command, but a goal. I want to know, God, if I give that much, what are you going to do to guarantee that I'm going to be taken care of. I need to see that now before I take the step. If I lose my job because I do the right thing, I don't lie, I don't fudge on the numbers or whatever it is I'm being pressured to do, how do I know if I lose my job, God, that you're going to catch me and you're going to give me another job that's at least as good? How do I know? If I've got a brother or sister that I'm at odds with and, and, I, and maybe they're sinning against me and I confront them, how do I know that relationship is not going to be forever changed? I, God, I need some assurance there before I take a step. God never told them how they were going to take the land until the very moment they were taking a step. Have you noticed that? God's people do not live by explanations. They live courageously through faith. Who would have guessed that they would have taken Jericho like they did? Marching around the city for seven days, stone walls just falling down. Nobody. What about Joshua chapter 10 when they defeat the five powerful kings and God causing the sun to stand still so that their army would prevail? Nobody would have thought of that. Nobody would even ask God. Now, God, if it gets kind of tough, would you mind thinking about keeping the sun up a little bit longer? They would have even never thought of that. If you wait until God explains every detail of how things are going to work out before you take a step, you will never take a step. That's not faith. But again, we can all look back at our lives where God has worked and thought, wow, I would have never imagined that way. Let me ask you a hard question. Kind of makes this personal. If you think of yourself as the kind of person that needs the explanations, God, I just need to know. Because it's kind of helped me to see where you're going with this. And if I can see where you're going with this, then full of faith, I'm, I'm going to take the step. If God were to operate that way, who's to say that would be enough for you? Because all you have to do is open your Bibles and you see time and time again where God did that for people. And it wasn't enough. 
I think it's good that God didn't give them the details of the fall of Jericho in Joshua chapter 1 before they even crossed the river. God waited until chapter 5, right before they take the wall of Jericho and said, okay, here's the plan. If God had told them about marching around the city that this is our strategic military operation, would they have been eager to go? These people need to experience Joshua chapter 3, crossing the river Jordan during flood season. Experiencing taking a step in the water and the waters splitting and crossing in dry land. Remember the previous generation? Oh my, they had a similar experience, right? You would think they would be full of faith. Look at all God did for them. Did it make them full of faith? Hardly. So be careful when you think about it. If God would just show me, then I would believe. Maybe. But I'd say probably not. Because when you look in scriptures, it happened again and again. But when they got to Jericho, God told them exactly what they needed to do. Here's the step-by-step direction. Just when they need it. Here's the point. I put it on the screen. God's people live on promises more than explanations. This is something you need to know before you start following Jesus. Because this is the life that he's calling you to. God's people live on promises more than explanations. I'll give you an example. It comes from the Old Testament, but I'm going to read it from the New Testament because, again, it's one of those God principles you see throughout Scripture. Abraham, an incredible example of this, 75 years old when he's told he'll become a father, and he still has to wait another 25 years before that promise comes true. Look how Paul summarized this. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Do you remember that phrase? So shall your offspring be. That's when God said, Moses, come in here. I mean, uh, Abraham, come in here. I'm going to show you something. Look up at the stars. So shall your offspring be. Don't you know Abraham hung on to that phrase? So shall your offspring. That was God's promise to Abraham. Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted unto him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. If the story of Abraham teaches us anything, is that faith is not ignoring the facts. Abraham knew the facts. He was old, as good as dead. Sarah was, was barren. Faith is looking beyond the facts to a God who is able. Do we believe that? That God is able. Abraham was living more by a promise than an explanation. 
Here's another question. How much sin, our own and others, can be traced back to unbelief? Not taking God at his word. Not believing that he is able. Not thinking that he will do what he has promised. I want you to get this contrast. To put it on the screen, it's on your blanks to fill in as well. Abraham is considered righteous because he believed God. He believed God would do what God said he would do. And the children of Israel are considered rebellious because they simply refused to believe God would do what he said he would do. See, we tend to limit righteousness and rebellion in regards to maybe breaking a command or, or, or keeping a command or, or that, that, that rebellion is doing something horribly evil. But here the Bible expands rebellion to include this lack of trust. God wants you to value His integrity, His Word, as much as He does. Your belief is telling God, God, I hear you. I believe you. I take you at your word for your name's sake. Look at Psalm 23.3. You, you know this psalm, and we just kind of read over this phrase. Maybe I do. Maybe you do as well. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You'll find that phrase throughout Scripture. It's all about God being the true God. He wants everybody to know that. It's for His name's sake. He's going to do good for you because that's who He is. Not necessarily because you deserve it or you have the right answer or you do the right thing. That is who He is. Here's the deal. If all of His promises are backed by the honor of His name, and that's what Scripture's telling us here, then the honor of His name, get this, is spread by others seeing His promises fulfilled in our lives. So what's your story? How's God working in your life? What if the most evangelistic thing we can do, the best thing we can do to, to let people know about God is to give God control and let Him start working in and through us let God transform you, work in you, take over your life, and you step out on the premise of the promise and let God deliver. Otherwise, why should people listen to you? If you're uncertain about God, if your life is wishy-washy, if you're inconsistent, if they cannot see a faith like that, why would they want any part of it? I read about a church, don't know a lot about them, but they outgrew their rented facility and, and it was included in a book I was reading and they started meeting in a large abandoned mall, never put up a sign. They never put up a sign. They told everybody in that church, that's your job. You're the sign. You're the invitation. They were busting out the seams. So it wasn't a matter of a big billboard. It wasn't a matter of a website. It wasn't about a clever advertising. It's about each one in the kingdom realizing you are the example. You are the sign. People are looking at you and saying, what does this mean to live by faith? Not just what's your habits on Sunday morning or even your morality. You know, those are good. Those are awesome. And those kind of point back to God. But more than that, where's your faith? 
What does that look like? Because they've probably not seen it anywhere. There's a quote that's attributed to a lot of people, but I, I think I found the author. Sheldon Vanalkin, if I'm pronouncing his name right, a novelist, converted to Christianity. He said this, the best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness, but the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. You've probably heard this before. When they are somber and joyless, when they're self-righteous and smug and complacent consecration, when they're narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. Maybe the most evangelistic thing we can do is let God's promises speak through us. The people can see in us, not that we're more moral, although they'll see that too, but what they'll see is that we're full of faith. Something maybe they've not even given a try. How can you do that? How can you take a step when you don't know exactly where you're stepping? Go back to that picture of the cat. I hope you never forget how absurd that is. Because nothing is more out of character than that. Because if we want to talk about a fierce animal, we'd put like a Rottweiler up there, right? A German Shepherd, you know, just a, a dog that's kind of used in those kind of situations. My cat is so moody and grumpy. Got a cookie pouch out to here. I mean, just helpless, totally. Think about these slaves, or children of slaves, really. Wandering nomads, being strong and courageous. Where are they going to get that? How are they going to do that? And yet that's exactly what God told them to do. We need to change from a character of fear into a character of courage. Last blank. We change from fear to courage by focusing on God's character. This is who he is. He's a promise-keeping God. Kind of fast forward to the end of the book of Joshua, chapter 21. Look at verses 43 through 45. Paints a picture so well of how, kind of summarizes the whole book and how God was working all through it. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them the rest on every side, just as he swore to their fathers. Not one of their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Isn't that awesome? Exactly what God said, God did. But wait a minute. Didn't we mention last week, week before, in the opening verses in Joshua, remember we just read them a few weeks ago about how God had given this expansive geographical area. Here's the land. Gave the rivers. Gave the north, south, east, west. Huge. And the amount that they actually claimed was just a fraction. If that's true, and we know it is because the book of Joshua just gives us all those specifics, well, well what happened then? Did God keep His promise? Absolutely. He said, here's what's available. And you remember the caveat? Do you remember the premise? I will give you everywhere you set your foot. That's what they did, and that's what God did. 
That is who he is. God kept his word. God kept his promise. And here's our takeaway. God's promise for you is fulfilled to the, le- the level, the degree, the measure that you will allow it in your life. It is up to you. It's a God principle for all time. Look at the screen, Romans 15, 4. For whatever is written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance, that through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. You know that passage? Bingo, here we are. We're in the Old Testament, but even Abraham... And as, as Paul was writing, not just for Abraham's sake, but our sake. You need to know this. Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. What about you? Are you fully convinced that God is able? How is that seen? In your life? How is that heard in your prayers? Is there anybody who would look at you and say, an amazing woman of faith? An amazing man of faith? The book of Joshua is much more than just a Sunday school lesson for children about the walls falling down. It's a great lesson for our children, but even more for all of God's people to take heart in God's integrity, to be strong and courageous in the Lord and take a step of faith. What is that for you? Maybe for you it's a step in faith towards your salvation. Maybe you've heard about Jesus and you've worshipped Jesus maybe all your life or at least for years, but you've never taken that step of faith and confessed, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Let others hear you. Confess that. To be baptized so that your sins can be washed away. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have not taken that step. Some of you have stopped right there. You've been at worship every Sunday, but you've not taken a step of faith. What is your next step of faith that you need to do so God can fulfill His promises in you? If we can pray for you in any way or help you in your walk with the Lord, why don't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you? The Lord lift his countenance upon